Hello and welcome to the Idaho Reports podcast for November 24th. I'm Melissa Davlin. The Idaho Reports podcast is taking a break from our Wednesday episode this week to celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday. On Tuesday, we recorded a conversation with our pundits, Betsy Russell of the Idaho Press and Kevin Richard of Idaho Education News for our Friday broadcast show. We discussed early childhood education, election news, and the state deactivating crisis standards of care. You can watch the full show Friday night at 8 p.m. on Idaho Public Television or listen here on the podcast feed. Here's Kevin and Betsy. Kevin, you've been covering early childhood education, whether it's pre-K or full-day kindergarten, for a very long time now. Mm-hmm. I, there's not really any debate about the benefits of these programs at this point. Right, and listening to that segment, we're hearing some of the same evergreen themes that we've heard about early education for years that still hold true. The question of how are you going to pay for it? How are you going to fund it and sustain it long term? And juxtaposed against the community support for it, whether we're talking about the education community or the business community, there's pretty widespread support for early education in whatever form a district can figure out how to provide it. But that's the question is how is the district going to provide it? Mm -hmm. Betsy, what are these legislative conversations been like about full day kindergarten and universal pre-K in the state? Well, full day kindergarten was actually proposed through legislation last year, bipartisan legislation, and it, it really looks like it is on a track toward being very seriously considered by the legislature. The State Board of Education has endorsed it. The state superintendent of schools has proposed funding it in her budget request. And if the state is ever going to make this move toward funding full day kindergarten, now's pretty much the time when there's this huge budget surplus and the state actually has the flexibility to think about possibly making some ongoing changes in what it funds. But the the interesting thing about kindergarten right now in Idaho is that it's not mandatory and most districts offer half day and some full day, but it is a spotty patchwork all over the state as to what's offered where, at which school, even within districts. Some districts charge fees, some don't. Some charge on a sliding scale. Um, some run supplemental levies to pay for it. There's no guarantee anywhere that it's going to be provided unless the legislature funds it. And I think that funding patchwork is part of the reason why you've got legislators talking about funding this at the state level. When you have lawmakers like Carl Crabtree and Judy Boyle talking about all-day kindergarten, a big reason they're talking about it is to try to get this cost off of supplemental levies, off of the property tax rolls, and come up with some other way to pay for it, uh, as opposed to these short-term levies that that force patrons to pay out of the property tax, which we know is the most unpopular tax in Idaho. So let's talk a little bit about this West Ada lawsuit. And again, this wasn't about the constitutionality of charging fees, whether on a sliding scale or a flat rate. It was just on standing at this point. Uh, Kevin, what did it say? Well, it it said basically that uh, this case has to go back to the district court so the district court can try to figure out the merits of the case about whether these student fees for kindergarten are constitutional or not. Uh, As as I read the ruling, as I read the decision on Monday, the Supreme Court really took pains to say that they are not talking at this point about the merits of the constitutional argument that student fees are unconstitutional. And we've had this debate about student fees and the constitutionality applied to a lot of different educational programs. Uh, In this case, we're talking about West Ada, and we're talking about 
charging parents fees for that extra half a day of kindergarten that isn't covered by the state. And also significant, I think, about the Supreme Court ruling, although standing is kind of an obscure issue that maybe the layperson doesn't deal with a lot, is that this suit was essentially dismissed completely at the lower court level for lack of standing. And what the Supreme Court said is there are two different issues here. There's economic damage to the parents who sued, and then there's educational damage to their kids who they wanted to get a certain level of schooling that they didn't get. And the lower court dismiss both because under economic damage, it was clear that the parents who sued hadn't actually paid the fees. It, the full day kindergarten wasn't offered at their school. But what the high court said was the educational damage claim, that does raise issues that should be explored on their merits. Because if you are saying that certain people in Idaho get a certain level of education for their kids, but if they can pay, if they're wealthier, they get more, that would raise constitutional implications. And that's exactly what the West Ada School District does in its, in its full day kindergarten fee structure. It's a flat fee. So those who can afford to pay can get it, those who can't, cannot. And it's a very interesting legal case that looms here because you have the constitutional language regarding education that we talk about all the time, the constitutional mandate on free, common, uniform, public education. But as Betsy mentioned earlier, we have state statute that says that kindergarten is optional. So does Constitution Trump statute in this case? How would this play out in a court? Basically, the Supreme Court said, district court, you've got to go back and sort this out. And that doesn't even touch on pre-K. We're talking kindergarten, kindergartners, five-year-olds. But you know what we saw in Idaho City in the Basin School District was how beneficial those pre-K programs were for, for those younger kids who hadn't even entered kindergarten yet. Mm -hmm. uh, what are the legislative discussions like around pre-K? You know, it's like it's two different topics. Even though it's early education and you have education and business leaders saying, we need early education in whatever form we can get in multiple forms, you have I think there's an excellent chance that an all-day kindergarten bill will become law next year because of all the reasons Betsy mentioned. There's a lot of support behind it and there's a lot of money available to make this happen. You get into pre-K, it becomes a very visceral conversation. I also saw in March when the House voted to reject a $6 million a year federal grant. It wasn't state dollars, it was federal money. I, I don't see pre-K necessarily going very far in the legislature next year, but I do think that uh, all-day kindergarten, if I had to bet right now, I think an all-day kindergarten bill passes. And that was a federal grant that had the support of Idaho's Republican senators, U.S. senators, both senators, Rich and Crapo. Uh, again. And yet we saw a real demonizing of it in the House, not in the Senate, just in the House, of, of, of really the entire idea of pre-K, that somehow this was, was a, uh, a big, scary, awful thing where someone's trying to get to your little kids, when that's really not necessarily reflected in what the grant and the legislation they were considering. And next year, of course, is an election year, and whether we like it or not, that always shapes discussion around legislation. Let, and let's talk a little bit about some of this election drama that has been playing out. Um, let's start with the legislature. We talked a couple weeks ago about how with the uh, map that made it to the Secretary of State's office that has a couple different legal challenges now, there were several incumbents who were redistricted together. Mm -hmm. uh, some of those incumbent versus incumbent races are already starting to sort themselves out because some of those lawmakers are either retired or have declared for other office, Kevin? Well, yeah, I think we've got a long way to go to sort a lot of this out because we've got some contested races in the House that haven't really sorted themselves out. But as, as Betsy reported a few days ago, 
Patty Ann Lodge, the senior member of the state Senate, has decided that she's not going to seek re-election. And that's one of those districts where you had two sitting senators, uh, Lodge and Senator Todd Lakey. But we have a lot of other ones still. We have you know, Jim Rice and Abby Lee in the same district. We have Scott Grow and Stephen Thane, the chairman of the Education Committee, in the same district. Uh, we have one in North Central Idaho with Carl Crabtree and Dan Johnson, who's now the mayor of Lewiston. So we'll see how all that sorts out. And you've got these you know, log jams in the House that could translate into some of these House members looking at a Senate seat. A lot to work out yet. That's right. I mean, there are a couple of House districts of the new districts on this map, should it withstand the legal challenges, that have four House incumbents and only two seats. And there are a few more that have three. And so something has to give there. And it hasn't really all shaken out yet. But I think that that was a definite undercurrent of the reconvened legislative session. I could hear legislators sitting behind me in committee rooms saying, oh, what's so-and-so going to do? Oh, what are you going to do? And I'm not sure that's all been sorted out yet. Well, I know 10 years ago, there were so many people who opted to either retire or run for different offices instead of facing mm -hmm. one of their colleagues. And at, at the end of the day, you only had two incumbents who were running against each other. And that was That's then right. Senator Tim Quarter and Senator Burt Brackett. Um, I, I'm thinking we might have some more races than we saw 10 years ago, if this map stands. I think that's possible. I mean, there have been others, as you mentioned, announcing for higher office. For example, Representative Dorothy Moon is running for Secretary of State rather than seek re-election. Otherwise, she would be in a district with four House incumbents. And so we could see some of that. But yes, I do think we will see some contests with people running against each other. Um, representatives Moyle, Skog, and Nichols are in the same district. I haven't talked to all three yet, but Representative Moyle told me, bring it on, I'm running for the House. And I have had several um, legislators tell me, eh, so we run against each other. Think about a district like District 35, which is in that southeast corner of the state. You have four House members in that same district, but you also have a sitting senator who I would imagine is probably not going anywhere. So there's no clear path for any of those four House members to, to move into the Senate. I mean, that's a, a textbook logjam. We also have uh, Representative Greg Cheney, who has decided to run for the Senate instead of running for his House seat in that's his right. new district. Yeah. And that's, that's a case where the Senate seat in his new district will be open. There's no incumbent. And I did talk to him about that. And he said, you know, that's, a, that's an opportunity. And I thought it was a good fit for me. And if you're ever going to make that change, this is the time. Also, Representative Ben Adams has announced that he's going to run for the open Senate seat in his district. He's a freshman. He's the only <laughs> incumbent left in that district, I believe, if I'm keeping them all straight here. So. Um, and the other thing this plan did was create a ton of open seats in both the House and the Senate all around the state. So uh, in addition to forcing incumbents to face off, we may see a lot of new people brought into the legislature as a result of this. Now you realize that if the court throws out this map, we are going to have to do all of this all over again. Yeah. <laughs> Look yeah. up everyone's addresses. Yeah. Well, it's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> it's what we did 10 years ago. So you know, let's talk about some of these statewide races, because in the past couple of weeks, there have been some really, really interesting moves. Um, Raul Labrador and Lawrence Wasden both announced campaigns for attorney general. Um, joining Art McComer, who had announced that he was going to challenge Wasden um, several months before. Uh, that That's going to be an interesting race. It's going to be a very interesting race. And, you know, it really underscores, you know, people talk about how this next primary is this primary, uh, this battle for the soul of the Republican Party is the phrase that keeps getting used. Well, let's put that into personal terms. If you're conservatives, you're looking at this ticket and you're thinking, 
do we have a chance to take out Brad Little, Scott Bedke, Lawrence Wasden, and Mike Simpson? And if you're a moderate Republican, you're looking at it and saying, we have a chance to take out and maybe preempt the political careers of Janice McGeehan, Priscilla Giddings, Ryan Smith, Dorothy Moon, the list goes on. I mean, that's, that's why it's a battle for the soul of the Republican Party. I mean, and I think the Attorney General's race may be the most interesting of the two because you have two veteran politicos, you know, and in a four-person race. I mean, it's a fascinating, fascinating I think race. another really interesting race is lieutenant governor. It's not the most powerful position in our state government, but we did have a three-way race shaping up in the Republican primary. And this past week, uh, former Representative Luke Malik dropped out and endorsed Scott Bedke. So now that's a two-way race between Scott Bedke and Priscilla Giddings. Once again, two very clear different factions of the Idaho Republican Party. Which one will come out on top in a head-to-head statewide race? And there's a little bit of animosity between Scott Badke and Priscilla Giddings. Oh, yeah. Just a little, I've noticed. (laughs) I've noticed, you're right. Just a touch. Let's talk about Luke Malik dropping out because Mm -hmm. he had a number of high-profile endorsements in Idaho political land. I mean, we're talking former House Speaker Bruce Newcomb. We're talking former Joint Budget Chairwoman Maxine Bell had donated to his campaign. Um, He was running hard. He was the first one to announce. And so for him to drop out at this point and then wholeheartedly endorse his his opponent, what does that say to you, Kevin? Well, first of all, it's just a very sudden announcement because, as you said, I mean, you know, Malik had been campaigning really hard for this race and had been campaigning now for about a year. So for him to announce it and to announce it the way he did on Sunday night over social media was, well, it was very surprising. I mean, I'm looking at my Twitter feed and it's like, whoa, <laughs> news actually happened here. And it really is news. And it really does set up this, you know, head to head battle between you know, the moderate wing of the Republican. Republican Party in the hardline conservative wing. And uh, it was surprising to me as well because Luke Malik had been quite adamant early on that he was not going to do this. He was not going to bow out and make way for others. But he got into this race six months before either of the other two candidates did. And that was when he rolled up the endorsements and um, a lot of funding. And the race changed once it became a three-way race with two other high-profile candidates. And notably in his announcement, he didn't really say, I'm withdrawing. He said he's deferring it for a future election cycle, and he's still interested in running, just not this year. And and I have to say, Representative Priscilla Giddings is running hard for this seat, too. She is Mm -hmm. actively campaigning around the state, Uh, and and I think that what we saw during the reconvened legislative session in mid-November was very much campaigning on the House floor, you know, Mm -hmm. when she was addressing not just her colleagues, she even said, nothing I say is going to change your vote here. She wasn't addressing her colleagues. She was addressing the people of Idaho in that moment. Her debate, that was her moment to, you know, to make her case not just, I mean, her colleagues. I mean, that that vote was pretty much sealed. But it was her chance to make her case to her constituents, her potential constituents, potential voters. I mean, that was, you know, know, there were campaign overtones on both sides of this. You know, as we talk about these other crowded primaries, might we see more people dropping out and deferring to other candidates who are similarly politically aligned? Or are we going to see what we did in 2018 where we have five or six way primaries? and people winning that primary with you know 27% of the vote. I think it really depends on the race and it depends on the candidates. Certainly in the governor's race, we have a plethora of candidates on the Republican side and none of them have given any sign that they're gonna back out. So I think we are in for a multi-way primary there. And, and 
sometimes those can be the most exciting election years. <laughs> <laughs> well, and just what we saw earlier this month with Dorothy Moon announcing for Secretary of State. I mean, on paper, it seems like Moon and Mary Souza are going after the same constituency within the Republican primary. But, you know, Moon decided to jump into that race. You know, we're several months away from the, the filing period, so who knows what That's direction true. this is going to go. And of course, that now is a four-way race because we already had Phil McGrain and Chad Houck, the current Chief Deputy Secretary of State, as announced candidates in that race, along with Mary Souza. So, so there's another crowd of primary race. Can't wait. It's going to be good. How, how are these elections going to shape debates in the 2022 legislative session? We already you know, saw a hint of how this might go in during that mid-November reconvened session. Oh, between COVID mitigation efforts and the elections looming, what are, what are you going to be keeping your eye on, Kevin? I'm going to watch for a lot of the same bills that we saw in that short session. I mean, just because we have 36 bills introduced and none of them passed doesn't mean that these ideas aren't going to come back. And especially if the authors of these bills see these as uh, winning issues that they can take back to their districts, I think we're going to see a lot of these bills come back with a lot of political overtones to the debate. Absolutely. And, and election year sessions in Idaho, in the Idaho legislature, are notorious for um, hot button issues being brought up, things that maybe won't even change much as far as the law, but will give um, incumbent slash candidates a chance to go on the record and appeal to their base or to hold the people they're going to run against um, to a record that they think won't appeal to their base. And certainly the COVID bills are, um, are in that category. So are traditionally those bills have been guns and abortion and who knows what all else. But it's the same legislature that we have now <laughs> looking ahead to that election when there's going to be big change. And that will be very clear to them as they conduct themselves through that session. You know, we have about two and a half minutes left, and thankfully we are on a downside, a downward trajectory with COVID cases. Uh, this week, Idaho deactivated crisis standards of care in six of the seven health districts, but also you know, we're hearing from public health officials and hospital officials that we're not out of the woods yet, that we need to start thinking about this as potentially an endemic disease. Um, you know what's the picture looking like for schools and how might that shape public policy discussions? Well, I think what you're seeing with schools, we saw it uh, just in the past few days with the West Ada School District going away from its mask mandate. It'll, uh, have, you know, it'll have no mandate when kids go back into school next week. I think you're seeing that, but at the same time, you look at the numbers and you listen to the health officials talk about the numbers, you're hearing two things. You're hearing, yes, things are improving. Uh, case numbers, positivity, uh, you know, test rates, hospitalizations, all these uh, metrics that we watch so closely are improving, but all of them are higher than health officials really want to see them. And, you know, one of the things that looms is that, you know, we're seeing COVID case numbers increasing across much of the country. You know, we were listening Tuesday to the AARP uh, conference call, you know, Health and Welfare Director Dave Jepson talked about how case numbers are increasing in 28 states. Idaho isn't one of them right now. But that tells you that this virus continues to kind of ebb and flow and come in waves, uh, which suggests, you know, that, you know, this wave that we're just seemingly coming out of might not be the last. And Betsy, what are you going to be watching for? Well, I think that that um COVID has certainly had an impact on Idaho politics. Imagine what Idaho politics would be like right now 
without for COVID, without COVID, but for COVID. But it is here and it's continued to, it is going to continue to influence our politics in Idaho. Uh, after last week's reconvened session, do you, I, we didn't hear a lot about crisis standards of care in those discussions. It was like a, a completely different debate than what public health officials are having. Uh, what do you expect to see specifically with COVID during that 2022 session? I think it will be front and center. Um, even if it has abated, even if the pandemic has abated, because it has, aroused, it has become such a political issue that the political undertones and overtones will be debated and will be legislated. All right, Betsy Russell with the Idaho Press, Kevin Richard with Idaho Education News. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for watching. Be sure to follow us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook and Twitter. And you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter. Get all of the links to our work in your inbox every Friday. We'll see you next week. Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.